Well, thank you to be here. Uh, question, how many of you are here last week to hear Tanika's sermon? Tanika, stand up and look at all the sinners that weren't here to hear you. Come on. It just, yeah. It, it's very, very good to stand and take over from Tanika, my, one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, Jonah. I stole this slide off the internet. Jonah chapter 3. Uh, that's what we're doing here today. Tanika to Jonah chapter 1. And uh, it's, it's one of those books that's just absolutely perplexing. So we're going to be perplexed today. Welcome to Park Hill. So I'm going to read this together, and then we'll dig into it here for a little while. So this is chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh, very large city. It took three days to go all through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey in the city, proclaiming 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. But that was a popular message. The Ninevites, wait for it, believed God. Fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let animals or people or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up all their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord for us to ponder this morning. Now, this is chapter 3. That means we're halfway into the book. Going back to chapter 1, I'm a map guy. Jonah's there in northern Israel, Samaria, faithful prophet, doing his prophet thing. And God shows up. Jonah, Nineveh, do it. Jonah, being the faithful prophet he is, does what? Poof, Tarshish. <laughs> now, I, what are prophets supposed to do? They're supposed to hear the word of the Lord and, like, do it. And he does exactly the opposite. And if you listen to Tanika's sermon, and she did incredible work with that sermon last week, Jonah goes to Joppa. He pays good money to get on a ship to get away from God. What do we call the place that's ultimately away from God? What do we call the place that's ultimately away from God? Hell. 
Jonah, the faithful prophet, is paying really good money to go to hell. What in the world is going on? And part of what happens in the book of Jonah, it's a story, it's a parable, it's a narrative, and it's all kinds of stuff isn't there. It doesn't explain much of anything. And the goal in a parable, whether it's Jesus telling it or an Old Testament or New Testament, is to put yourself in the story and watch what's going on. Listen to the tone of voice. What's the expression on her face? What's that guy over there doing? And put yourself in the middle of the story and live it within the confines of the biblical text. And there's a lot of room for different emotions in this story. And we're going to explore some of them. So he heads off to Tarshish on the ship, and God sends a storm after him. Pagan sailors are terrified. They're trying to know what God is mad at. It's because you know there's a bunch of gods, and a mad god is a dangerous thing. And they find out this Jonah's God that's mad at him. And Jonah says, well, just throw me overboard. It'll be fine. And they don't want to do that. They don't have to. And Jonah overboard has a little fish story. If you're in the belly of a fish, what do you expect to come next? Your, your, yeah, energy for the fish. So what does he do in the belly of the fish? He prays. And he didn't have his phone with him. He left back on the ship. So he's doing all this stuff from memory, and his, his interaction with Scripture is profound. This man knows God, knows scripture, and he's praying songs of praise in the belly of the fish. Now, apparently, read this. The fish was so ticked off by his hypocrisy, he vomited. (laughs) Possible. Or he's have a, a conversion in the belly of the fish. And it says God caused the fish to vomit him out on the dry ground. But see, that's where, you know, what's going on there? Doesn't explain. Oh, kind of in chapter 4, come back next week. Are you doing it next week? Are you doing Jonah 4 next week? Yes, okay. Evan's doing it. Dude, I don't have to listen. <laughs> but chapter 3, Jonah, Nineveh. And what does he do? He obeys. Like, how come? What happened in Jonah that he now obeys? And when he gets to Nineveh, I love these Eastern Orthodox icons. He is proclaiming the word of the Lord. And it's a five-word sermon. Don't you just got five-word sermons here at Park Hill? And the response is this epic, epic Repentance. Now, everything in this book is comic book exaggerated, it feels like. And this repentance is the greatest repentance that's ever been done by a bunch of polytheistic, many God-worshipping Ninevites, the most evil, awful place in the entire world. In that day, 760s B.C. more or less, Nineveh was the biggest, baddest place ever. They were the dominant empire. The only competitors were Egypt and they were not at the same level. 
It's a little bit like today. The United States militarily is the most powerful nation in the world. Our only real competitor now is China. And it's that same kind of thing going on. And if your place is Israel, you're caught between two big guys and they're both crushing you. Well, I want to put this in a real life parable. As I was pondering this, interacting, uh, I want to introduce you to the Inskaya family. Lori is an American missionary who met Olag, a Ukrainian pastor, and they were married. Olag's one of my students when I was teaching in Odessa Theological Seminary in Odessa, Ukraine. Great guy. Got to know them both well, and I've kept track of them through Facebook. And they have their two kids, Simon and Abigail. Now, they live in western Ukraine, but their church has been absolutely destroyed by an event that's happening in their life. And what's that event? War. And more than war, invasion. From where? From Russia. Now, they've not had any bombs land on their church, because they're about as far away as you can get. But most of the men in his church have been conscripted into the army, and they're in the east fighting the Russian soldiers in eastern Ukraine. And many of the women and children have left Ukraine because of the danger, and they're in Hungary and Romania as refugees. And this church they worked so hard to build pretty much doesn't exist anymore. And I interacted with Lorian Oleg this week uh, and told him I wanted to use Oleg as an example, and they gave their blessing to do that if, 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 if. You have to agree to the if, you have to leave the building right now if you'll pray for Oleg and Lori because they're faithful, good people. They're going to spend about a year in the United States doing support raising and sabbatical. Then they're going back, and Oleg is a chaplain to Ukrainian forces by Zoom or whatever they use constantly. Bring spiritual refreshment in the life of these pastors who are carrying guns and entering into the war. So Oleg, what's he doing here? What's, what's happening in this event? This is baptism. You're doing it next week. I was in Kansas City with my grandson getting baptized last week. It's an incredibly good thing. Oleg, a faithful pastor. And Simon, his son, is a gifted athlete. He is an incredibly good table tennis player, and he's made the Ukrainian national team. He's that good. As you can see, Oleg is totally proud of his son. His son, I'm not sure what his expression impression is, but I think he's pretty proud too. Because <laughs> he's good. I've watched videos of him playing, and man, he'll, he'll, he'll clean your clock. Oleganskaya, faithful pastor. Now I'm putting him in eastern Ukraine. In his house there in Bakhmut. This is a little while ago. This is his house now. How come? The drones and the missiles, the artillery fire. And his house they put so much work into to make it a beautiful home for Abigail and Simon. Looks like this. What are you feeling toward the Russian soldiers who have destroyed your life, destroyed your home, killed your friends, 
the Oleg is Jonah. Now it hasn't happened, but let's say it happened. Let's say God appeared to Oleg and said, Oleg, Kremlin. What are you feeling? What? I don't want to do it. Oleg, Putin. See, that's the Jonah story. Only in a more contemporary context. And that's the parable that he's doing here to help us ponder the character of God in a situation of horrible, horrible evil and the righteous people of God, who aren't all that righteous, as a matter of fact. And that's what we're talking about here today. And I want to dig into this story and see some lessons for us today. And then tonight, when we gather back together here, for some of you anyway, we'll talk about forgiveness means in a place where there's true evil going on. The word Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Now, back in chapter 1, this is what God said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And those of you who are Bible nerds and hyperlink back and forth, you recognize these words. They come exactly from Genesis 18 and 19, which is about what? Bible nerds. What is Genesis 18 and 19 about? I know, we've got a plane competing with us here. It's about Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Destroyed by God. We now know exactly what happened physically. There was an asteroid that was an air burst over that city, and that's what destroyed it. God used an asteroid. The Bible describes as fire and brimstone, which is accurate language for what actually happened. We now know what happened there. And that's the word Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Jonah, Nineveh. Why? Why? Well, he could have been at that spot where he said, my arms are too short to box with God. And he's going to beat me up. I may as well do it. That's possible. It could be that he had a true connection with God as he prayed in the belly of the fish. I'm inclined to think that's what it was. But see, faith, faith, that Christian virtue, means taking God at his word even when it makes no sense whatsoever. That's faith. Faith means taking God at his word even when it makes no sense whatsoever. Oleg going to Putin, who, by the way, is a Christian nationalist, and proclaiming the word of God to him would make no sense whatsoever. Now, that's not Oleg's mission. But see, that's what faith is. And I probably think that's probably what happened. As Jonah was praying in the belly of the fish, he reconnected with God, realized again who he was, and looked at himself and said, it seems absolutely wrong to go to Nineveh. But if God says it, okay, I don't get it. Seems stupid to me, but I'll do it. In this very large city, three days, it actually 
the Umino archaeologically, to walk through the city and go through the whole city would take three days. This is an actual literal statement. It's, a, it's the biggest city in the world, probably. He began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and then it will be overthrown. And I want to look at that last word, overthrown. It's the word hafak in Hebrew, if you're interested. And overthrown, again, going back and looking at how that word is used in Genesis 19. So when God destroyed the cities in the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. What does hafak mean there? Destruction. Asteroid airburst, whatever it is, it means to destroy it. That's certainly the way the king of Nineveh interpreted it. Absolutely. So he had read it, 40 more days and then it will be toast. But this word, as many narratives do, has a double meaning. Look at Deuteronomy 23. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, Numbers 24, but turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. That word turned is hafak. Same word is overthrown in Jonah 3, 4. What does it mean? He turned the curse into a blessing. He changed it. That's hafak. 1 Samuel 10. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them, the prophets, and you will be changed into a different person. The king of Nineveh heard 40 days your toast, but there's a double meaning there. It could mean absolutely destroyed, or it could mean changed. How many had toast for breakfast this morning? Okay. How many put some butter and some jam and some honey and all that good stuff on your toast? Yep. Good stuff. And how many of you little clumsy like me and drop the toast? What happens every time? It turns over and the jam's on the floor. So the word is, Nineveh, your toast, but maybe that toast will be dropped and turned over. Now, I don't, certainly the primary meaning is not changed into something else because there's no into in the sermon. But it's a double meaning. He can destroy a city in different ways. He could destroy it with fire and brimstone. He can destroy it with the gospel of Jesus Christ by turning it around, turning it over, changing it into. And that little double meaning is, I think, a key to understanding this word. So what happens? The Ninevites believed God. Now, these are polytheistic, and they've got their own gods of the city, and it's interesting to go back and look at those gods. They're fascinating. The powerful spiritual beings they worship are not Yahweh of Israel. Did they know about Yahweh of Israel? Yeah, probably. I'm guessing the king of Nineveh took a world religions class in his bachelor's degree at the University of Nineveh and learned about Yahweh, but, you know, just another god around the world. But they believed God and did all this fasting and all that kind of stuff. How come? Why in the world were the Ninevites so ready to repent? 
Now, the pagan sailors, I get it, because they're in the midst of a storm. And they figure, hey, there's a God mad at us. We've got to figure out what's God mad at us and make him happy so we don't die. But what was the storm at Nineveh? They're busy storming people. They're well known for the cruelty of their oppression of other nations. They're famous for it. How come? There's actually a thing in history that intrigues me, 765 to 759 BC, there were two great famines, two major plagues of disease, severe flood, and a total eclipse on June 15, 763 BC. Do you think they're feeling like maybe God was picking on them? Now that's the time frame of Jonah. There's not connected, but it's interesting when I look at the actual background, there's stuff happening in Nineveh that's kind of put them on edge, like the pagan sailors on the boat. And here comes Jonah. Nineveh, you're toast. Oh, maybe this is the God that's mad at us. I mean, you don't know. But something happened that they believed God and they repented. Repenting, good thing or bad thing? Well, I kind of like what I'm doing and I don't think I really want to repent. I mean, that's what we're looking at here and it's the biggest repenting ever. Everybody repents. Even the animals are covered in sackcloth and ashes and eat nothing. I mean, it's, 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 almost, it's almost comic book, the level of repentance that they do. Comic book exaggeration. Everything in the book is the greatest ever. I mean, this guy really repents, really repents. But look at this passage, Jonah 3.9. Who knows, the king says. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. And I look at that thing and I look at that word turn. The Hebrew word is shub. It's a well-known word. It means to repent. Who's repenting here? Can God repent? I thought God was always the good guy. Why would he have to turn from sin? Why would God have to turn from sin? Well, it didn't have to be turning from sin to turn. Because what has he said to the people in Nineveh? Forty days, you're toast. See, turn could be turned from that. But, see, there's a... There's a picture of God that I grew up with, and now I call it classical theism. God is immovable. God is immortal. God is omnipotent. God is impassable. He has no, no emotions. He is immutable. He never changes. Numbers 23, 19, I'm not a man that I should change my mind. I'm not a man that I should relent. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord your God, I do not change. But this is talking about changing. And see, when I read the scripture, I see a God who does change in some ways. His 
character never changes. He is always compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and just. Exodus 34, 6, 7, which is quoted in this passage. He's always at that, never changes. Never becomes more or less God. His promises we can depend on. Now, not the timing of the promises sometimes. But when he says, I'm going to do it, he's going to do it. Nobody can stop him. But when he announces punishment and somebody repents, he can change and not bring the punishment after all. If he announces blessing and we turn into sin or keep on sinning, he will withdraw the blessing. And we can forfeit the blessing of God. That's what we're talking about here. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from your anger. Now, I'm, I'm a Bible hyperlinker. Jonah 3, there's another book that was written just about the same time. It's the book of Joel. Another Old Testament prophets. They're both in the same era. And this is from Joel, who is speaking to Israel. Jonah is speaking to Nineveh. Actually, the Ninevite prophet responding, Ninevite king. Rend your heart and your garments. Return. Guess what word that is? That's the shub. That's the repent word. Repent to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. There's that Exodus 34, 6, 7, the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, abounding love, and he uh, relents. That's the word naham. Changes his mind with compassion. He relents from sin and calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. The words of the king of Nineveh and the words of the faithful prophet Joel are almost identical. And I think what this is doing is say that the prophet of Jonah is speaking as much to Israel and the pagan sailors in Nineveh are an example of how it should be done, but Israel is not repenting. The book of Jonah that parable is actually speaking more to Israel than it is to Nineveh. God is using pagan sailors and Ninevite people to give a message to his own people, and they're not repenting. So I look at this. Verse 10. God saw what they did, how they turned, or there's that repent word again, how they repented from their evil ways, he relented, has compassion. And NIV, which I'm quoting here, did not bring on the destruction which he had threatened. And see what happens here. The NIV actually softens what the Hebrew says. Adds on he had threatened. So the New American Standard, which translates it more literally, word for word, when God saw their deeds, they turned from the evil way. Then God relented of the disaster which he declared he would bring on them. He said, I am, you are toast. Forty days you are overturned. It's not turn or burn, it's burn. It's not a threat, it's a declaration. You're done. And what do the Ninevites do? 
They believed God and did something that made no sense whatsoever. They repented. Amazing. He had declared he would do that. So, some learnings. Jonah, good guy or bad guy? <laughs> Jonah's a fascinating guy. He really knows God. Now, chapter 4 is the most enigmatic thing ever, and Evan will get it all right. Mm -hmm. Or I'll be down here again to talk to him. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's so many possibilities. But Jonah, the thing is, Yahweh is concerned for Nineveh, the wicked city. Jonah is concerned for evil going unpunished. Is it right to be concerned for ongoing evil? Absolutely. Is God concerned for ongoing evil? Mm -hmm. So what did he say to Nineveh? You're toast. You're toast. But again, that double meaning, toast can be turned over. Which is God's delight to toast you or turn you over? Jonah praises Yahweh for personal blessing in the belly of the fish. It sounds a little selfish to me. But I'm thinking if I'm in the belly of a fish and there's nobody else around and I'm there for three days, I might be a little selfish too as the fish acid starts dissolving me. But we find out for sure, and this is more in chapter 4, Jonah hates Yahweh's compassion to them. Because them is evil. Part of my role as a pastor of pastors is I'm around some of the most horrible evil stuff ever. I've walked alongside some desperate evildoers. I won't name names. I've walked about some people who have been absolutely devastated by evil in the church. And I hate it. I look back at a couple of pastors that I personally was able to knock out of ministry and I'm so glad that those men are not pastoring anymore. Now I want, I all set a path of redemption for them which they didn't take. Jonah 4, I knew that you're gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. That's the Exodus 34, 6, 7. But we see in the book of Nahum, which is written a century later. The Nahum is the word repent. This is about Nineveh, written a century later. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. See, and that's also in Exodus 34, 6, 7. Jonah does not quote it back in chapter 4, but Nahum, written about Nineveh, the Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. So when you look at God, he is gracious and compassionate. He is. And relents from sin and calamity, but he's also the one who will by no means clear the guilty. And see, we have a choice in the matter. When God shows up and calls us, we can do an Israel and continue in our evil ways. 
our self-centered ways. We can hang on to our shame. We can hang on to our pain, all those things. Or we can do a Nineveh, a pagan sailor, a Jonah, and repent and respond. Do you like it that God endures evil with great patience? About me, I'm, I'm stoked, yeah. Thank you, God, for enduring my evil with great patience, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But for them, especially the guy who's doing it to me, one of the things I get to do, which I hate doing, is pastor divorces. Because when I can step in as a pastor and work with people who are in divorce and the horrible pain that comes with that, around usually child custody, if I can be there as a pastor, I can keep them from killing each other and often destroying a child. And I have to endure evil with great patience in a godly way. But it means I've got to be in the midst of the evil. I'm doing ones right now, and I did some stuff yesterday that left me not sleeping well last night because I was so carrying the pain of this couple. I know them both well, and I know their child. That's why God does stuff. He steps in the middle of the pain and bears it with you. And in repentance, he will take the pain or the shame from you into himself and bring restoration. Because God relents at repentance. He is so faithful. He's the one who came in Jesus. So learnings. No one is immune to the grace of Yahweh. No one is immune to the grace of Yahweh. Think of Jonah. What did he do? He put his entire fortune to buy his way to hell. And God said, dude, you don't get to do that. Mm -mm. King of Nineveh, total wicked dude. God said, I'm not leaving you alone. This is what intrigues me. God uses Jonah. Of all the, I mean, this is a guy who goes as hard as he can go away from God in complete disobedience, rejection of everything, and then whines in chapter 4 about it. I mean, the last thing in the world I ought to do, if I were God, is use Jonah. I'd go find Joel. God uses Jonah for crying out loud. Gosh, I guess if he can use Jonah, he might even use me. I'm not up to the job, God. Yeah, I know, he said. I'll go with you. Are you willing to go with me to talk to the... Well, that's another question here. Who is my Nineveh? Who is the evildoer in my life? That all I want is an asteroid airburst, hellfire and brimstone, and lava running down into the basements of the people there. Now I know Oleg pretty well, and he's got a lot of Russian friends. But he also hates what's going on. And that's that's where we're at. Where evil is real, what will we respond to it? Who is our Nineveh. 
ponder this for a minute. Can I count on God forgiving my sin if I don't repent? Can I count on God forgiving my sin if I don't repent? What's the answer? No, I can't. Might he forgive it anyway? Not in the long run. In the short run, yeah. What about this? Can I count on God forgiving my sin if I do repent? Yeah. And that's really a question we're going to have for you as we ponder things here today, going into the prayer time and communion time here in just a minute. What is a thing that you need to repent of? Maybe you're doing evil to somebody because they're blankety blanks. Maybe you've done evil to you and you're carrying bitterness and you're feasting on your own bitterness. It's a, it's a pretty good meal sometimes to feast on bitterness. Or maybe you're carrying the shame of what's happened to you and you don't know what to do with it. There's a God who said, I'd like to take that shame and give you my honor instead. Yeah. Will I be a channel of blessing even if it means leaving my comfort and going to them? Careful, that's a Jonah question. I'd like to say yes, and I have on occasion, but I don't want to say yes. Now, there's a lot of PowerPoint here, and if you go to my website, brochures.net, isn't that a clever title for a website? And you see down there circled uh, current stuff. If you go to that spot and click on that thing, it will, this PowerPoint I've just done and a couple other things on Jonah and the forgiveness stuff for tonight is in that spot. So if you want to get this PowerPoint and ponder, it's there and some other things. And uh, there we go.